Thomas asked for a prophetic word for the church for God. Lord, I just ask for the gift of prophecy as well, just to, to touch your people's hearts, Lord, and, and to speak to them what you're saying, Father. Um, and I just ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. What I want to do is read out, um, if you have your Bible, this isn't actually part of the message, but I think this is part of what the Lord wants to share with us. Just um, just something to hang on to. Like, as Jules said, we've got that verse for the church as well, um, and that's something we can hang on to as a body of believers collectively. Now we know the Lord speaks to us personally in our own personal time. But um, Isaiah 43 is an incredible passage of Scripture, and I believe that this is a now word for us, and, and it's what, what the Lord is speaking to us, because God is still speaking now. Um, you know, some people say that the Lord stopped speaking, that, you know, the, that he's not presently speaking through his Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I de- definitely disagree with that. I believe the Lord is a God who speaks. He's a God who's presently talking to us. And, um, and so... Yeah, and I believe this is a word for us now from the Lord, um, Isaiah 43. Um, it says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honoured, and I love you. I give many in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, and I made. We don't have to fear a single thing because the Lord is with us. When we walk through the valley, we walk through the waters, we walk through the fire, we walk through any of that, Jesus is presently with us as a company of people. And it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be alright. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But it's all going to be okay in the end. It all will be okay in the end. Jesus has got this. Um, And he's got us in the palm of his hand because we're precious in his sight. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. Well, let's get into the message. Let's get into what, what um, the Lord's put in my heart to share with you guys. And what I want to talk about tonight um, is this thing called faith. It's this thing called faith. And faith is central uh, to us as believers. It's central to our walk with the Lord. Faith is everything to us. Faith is the, the essence of um, our, our relationship with Jesus. It's what makes us believers. You know, we're people of faith. We're people who are believers. And sometimes um, when, when we're hearing the word of the Lord to us, there can be uh, this thing called offense that rises up in our heart. And often, uh, offense is, is, is the gateway to a soft heart. 
if you can just bear it up and let the word of the Lord do its work. Sometimes when we're on this pursuit of faith, uh, the, the word of the Lord comes to us, and, and the word of the Lord is himself, Jesus. God's word is the person of Jesus, and the person of Jesus is God's word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Like Jonah was saying, John chapter 1, the Word made flesh. He came and lived and dwelt among us. And when that Word comes to us in the form of the, the written Word or, or, or Jesus and the Holy Spirit encountering us, the Word of the Lord comes to us, we can feel this offense rise up in our heart. Now, there's so many reasons why we as humans get offended. So many reasons. I can't even list all of them. Um, and I know the reasons why I get offended and why I, 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 that, that rises up in me. But when that offense comes, uh, we have to remember that Jesus says that he's the chief cornerstone, he's the rock of stumbling, he's the stone of offense. So he is either, that's what I'm saying actually, yeah. well, that's nice. <laughs> he, he is either for, for us to take his word and we build upon it, is the cornerstone. That's the foundation stone of a building. That is the foundation of our life. That is the thing that, that keeps us sturdy and it's what we can build our whole lives upon. Or, when the word of the Lord comes to us, we can be offended by it. And it can be a rock of stumbling. It can cause stumbling. It can cause us to trip. But Jesus had this in his life. Every time he'd speak the word of the Lord, there was always the people who are humble and they were the, the people who might not have had the perfect, holy, sanctified life, but they were humble and meek and they were normally sinful people. And they'd come to him and they'd listen to him and they'd take that implanted word, that word that's able to save their soul, and they'd receive it with meekness. And when they received that word with meekness and humility, God's power was at work. It was the power that could save their soul. It was the power that could change them. It could transform them. It could renew their life and their mind. But then there was these self-righteous Pharisees who thought they could figure themselves out. They thought they had God figured it all out. They thought they had their heart all figured out. And Jesus said, you've got no idea. The inside of you is dirty and the outside's clean. You guys need to clean and spruce up the inside so then the outside can match the inside. <laughs> and there's this hardness of a heart with offense that actually led them to crucify our Lord it actually led this religious mindset this pharisaical mindset it, it led these guys to crucify our Lord why? because the word of the Lord came to them the word of the Lord was spoken to them but offense rose up in their heart bitterness rose up in their heart and they pushed it away and they didn't let it do its work So when Jesus speaks to us um, in whatever way, shape, or form, we have to let that word do its work. Faith starts out with the word and it ends with the word. Our faith and, and the essence of faith comes not of its own substance. It's not on its own. It's always in response to the word of God. And when the word of God comes to us, Sometimes it can offend our heart, and we just have to let it just rattle our cage. Like, I know it. Like, you know it. We all know it. It rattles our cage. And you're just like, oh, it's pruning me. It's cutting me. 
and the more you move, move around, like Jonah was saying, the word of God is like a sword. It's like a double-edged sword. It's a scalpel. But the more we move around, and the more we avoid it, the messier the job is on our heart. <laughs> if God's trying to do a fine, neat, intricate cut of scalpel work, just pruning away things in our heart through his word, if we move and we resist and we avoid it, it's actually going to botch up our heart, it's going to mess up our heart, and it'll be a very messy, long process when the Lord is actually a very skilled physician. Jesus is an incredibly skilled physician. He is very skilled with the scalpel. The thing is that the Lord doesn't prune you because he hates you. He doesn't prune you or cut you with his word because he doesn't like you. What does it say? It says the Lord disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines those that he loves. What does he say in John chapter 15? He says that the fruitfulness of your life, those who are bearing fruit, they'll be pruned. So the Lord sees in your life fruit. Sometimes we think discipline and the pruning is punishment, but it's not actually. It's actually a reward for the fruit that you've borne. Why is that the case? Why are, you, why are you being pruned because you're born free? Because the Lord likes that branch and he's trying to cultivate it and multiply it. And sometimes our character needs to be uh, cultivated, pruned, cut, so it can be multiplied, because none of us here are perfect. But the Lord makes us perfect in his sight, and he's making us perfect by his spirit. Is that making sense? We're going straight, straight into it. I, I don't really have neat sermon plans or anything, but I'm just... Here we go. Here we go. So the pruning of the Lord um, comes in the form of His Word coming to you. When you've been fruitful, that's when the pruning starts. So when you've been bearing that fruit, that's when He starts to, to speak that Word to you and cut away. Now, if you, we have an interesting thing going on in our, in our generation. It's like, super interesting. It's called self-help. Um, it's called finding yourself. It's called soul searching. I think it's been around, but it's especially prevalent in our generation, you know, living your best life, finding yourself, all that stuff like that. Uh, and it all seems so right, but it leads you on a rabbit hole, like down this rabbit hole and this rabbit warren, trying to find yourself. When our maker knows us better than ourselves, he, sorry, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Our maker, through his word, can prune your heart, can deal with your issues, a lot quicker, neater, uh, tidy little scalpel cut than we could ever on our own soul searching, fact finding, inner healing mission. Now the Lord will take you on. Oops, the Lord will take you on that journey. He will take you on that journey if you need to go there. But it has to be birthed by His Spirit. And if it's not birthed by His Spirit, it's a rabbit warren. It's a hard place to go through, trying to find yourself through your own volition on your own terms. We have to be humble to what God is saying to us through his word and by his spirit to let him heal our hearts in the ways that need healing. That doesn't neglect uh, his ability to care and comfort and counsel us, to walk us through journeys of pain and suffering, but it's all initiated by his spirit when it's him doing it by his word. If it's not initiated by his spirit, you can just go around and around and you'll be in that same track 40 years down the, down the way. You'll be still trying to find yourself 
where Jesus is going, it's not really about you finding you. It's about me finding you. <laughs> me knowing you, healing you, delivering you. Okay? So our journey into faith and this thing called faith that we're talking about tonight, it all begins with the Word of God. And, and this is what happens sometimes when the Word of God gets brought forth to us. Uh, and we have to humble ourselves, receive the Word with meekness. James chapter 1 says, uh, receive the implanted Word with chapter, I think it's chapter 1. It says, receive the implanted Word with meekness. It's able to save your soul. And I think that's, I think that's eternal salvation. But it would not surprise me if that, that, that saving of your soul is the, is the restoring of your mind, will, and emotions. It's the restoration of what makes you you and your being. And that's through the receiving the implanted word with meekness. Meekness is humility, tenderheartedness. And we see that in the lives of Abraham. We see that in the lives of Moses. They exhibit meekness towards God's word. They receive it. And that little seed implants and it births this thing called hope. And how good is hope? I just like a little bit of hope goes a long way, especially when you're walking through coals. <laughs> you walk through coals, everyone is petrified. And it's just like a little bit of hope, you just like, oh, I just want a little drop of hope. <laughs> Can I have a drop of hope here? Uh, because we want to be self-aware and we want to be uh, attentive to people's needs and things like that, but we don't want to miss out on hope and we don't want to miss out on faith. You know, if we're, if we're, if we're not careful, we'll just leave people where they are without introducing them to hope. Hope is the joyful expectation of good. That's the soil where faith starts to form. So you're joyfully expecting good to come. We're joyfully expecting good to come, and that's rooted in the nature of Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus for a second, his nature, and what he's like. Well, well Jesus is perfect love. He's perfectly good. Oh, he's perfectly hopeful. He's per perfectly full of hope. He, he doesn't ever look at a situation and see it too dire to restore. Imagine if he came up to that leper, that man with leprosy, and he came up to me and goes, oh man, I'm really, yeah, really bummed about your condition. My name's Jesus, like I love you, bro. Um, see ya. <laughs> I just left him. That's not the Jesus we know. The Jesus we know loves people. He meets them where they're at. But he's so hopeful, and he's so filled with hope, he has a joyful expectation that the goodness of God is going to do something about that situation. He's joyfully expecting that when he lays his hand on that leper and puts his hand on that cheek, he's not expecting leprosy to get onto his hand. He's expecting the goodness of God to get onto the leper and restore him. Hope is the fuel, it's the place of our resting, resting our heart where faith gets birthed from. Hope is everything. It's the anchor to our soul that Hebrews chapter 6 says. Hope is the anchor for our soul. Sure and steadfast. Now our hope isn't even in solutions being fixed. Our hope is that Jesus is enough. 
Our hope is that Jesus has an answer, that he is a way, he knows what he's doing, and he knows how to heal and deliver. So when he puts his hand on someone with leprosy, they get restored in a moment. Can you imagine that? When Jesus puts his hand, you're watching this, this leper get clean skin for the first time, get completely healed of this disease that's caused to be an outcast for years. And you know, the Pharisees are probably going, go heal on the Sabbath, and then uh, the disciples are going, ooh, like all this stuff, like humbly if you can touch them. Jesus is just there, placing his hand on the leper, loving him, meeting with compassion, but restoring him. He restores, and he can restore all things, because all things are possible in him and through him. So we've got this thing of oh, subject water. Okay. So we've got this thing um, called faith, and we've got this thing called hope, and, and hope is grounded in the word of the Lord. Now we see in the life of Abraham and the life of Moses what they do with the word of the Lord and how that impacts their life. With Moses, we see him receive the word with meekness because he was known as the meekest man who ever lived on the face of the planet. And Abraham was a man who walked with God as a man walks with a friend. Now, the incredible thing about faith and faith for us and how we live this life of faith is that it's in response to God's word and the word of the Lord came to Abraham. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's a guy called Abraham and the word of the Lord comes to him. And he says... To, um, says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you like all the sand on the sea of the shore. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And the blessing of Abraham, it isn't just the multiplication of his descendants. When we think about faith, we think about Abraham and he's the father of our faith. And so when we look at his life and we look at his story, we see who our father is. Not because we worship Abraham, but because we see someone who we emulate as believers. And so we have this journey in our life and our, on our journey of faith where we have to go through different things and different trials to see the promise come to pass. Now the promise, there's many promises in the Bible, but the promise that I'm most concerned with is seeing Jesus manifest in a relational form. Seeing us have a relationship with the living, risen Jesus Christ is the priority of our lives. Having a relationship with him is everything to us. It is absolutely everything to our being, our nature. It is what you were created for. It's what I was created for. Since so eloquently put about um, us being the bride of Christ and him being the bridegroom and that we are made for a marriage. We are made for a relationship with Jesus. And so seeing, um, and, and Brad Keyes actually talked about it a couple of weeks ago, about how we have the presence of God within us always. But there's a difference with, between the presence and the glory, but the glory is the manifestation, it's the uh, outworking, it's the actual occurrence, it's the realisation of Jesus in us. It means it's the tangible reality that we actually get to experience Jesus here and now on this earth as our friend. Friendship with Jesus is the one thing, knowing his love and experiencing his goodness is the one thing that will actually satisfy your heart. 
It's the one thing we're looking for. And faith is the way we get there. Faith is the journey and it's the way we get to the heart of God and it's the way we get to experience and know Him. Jesus, His priority was that they would all know the Father, that the Father would be revealed and made manifest. And so the glory of God and accessing the glory of God through faith um, is basically what God's put inside of our heart we actually get to experience uh, here and now. What God's put inside of our heart, it actually becomes our reality that, yes, we believe we're friends with Jesus, but what happens when his presence tangibly confirms that? What happens when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that you actually know that you know that he's your friend right here and there? You feel and you experience and you see, you just know from your spirit, from your heart, everything that you believe is actually true. That's the priority of our lives, and that's what Abraham had. He's a man who knew God and walked with God as a man walks with his friend. Our friends with the Almighty created Yahweh, the God of Israel. Abraham and God were friends, and the promise that God gave him that I'll multiply you and I'll make your descendants as many as the sand of the seashore, that promise is not about the number of people as much as it is God saying, I love what relationship we have, and I'm going to multiply that throughout all the generations. I love the relationship that we have, the friendship that we have, and I'm going to multiply that throughout all the generations. When God says that to you, it's something you actually just have to experience in your life. That you're like in this place of God's presence and in His Spirit, and you're just, and, then, and for God to actually say, "I love this so much, this friendship, that I actually want to multiply it throughout all the generations." You just have to experience it. You can't actually put into words what that would be like as a father or a mother to hear that throughout all the generations, God wants to encapsulate what you you guys had and shared. And he wants to multiply it because he can't contain it just in your relationship. And that's the whole point of like a mum and a dad in a family. They multiply the love that they have through um, their offspring. And we become spiritual offspring of Abraham. We become spiritual children because God and Abraham's covenant, which was actually just based upon God's faithfulness, it was based upon God's goodness, and it's because God actually made the covenant with Abraham and he said, I would rather die than this friendship end. If anything comes against this friendship, I'd rather die. And that, that's when he splits those animal carcasses. I don't know if you know the story in um, Genesis 15. He splits the animal carcasses and then God walks through the middle of them. And what that says is if this covenant, this relationship, this love affair ends, then that's what's going to be done to me. I would rather have that death, I'd rather be torn in two than have our friendship ruined. And it's funny that, that that's exactly what happens with Jesus. Jesus would rather tear himself apart on that cross, he'd rather have himself torn in two, his soul and his body, his being torn in two, then have our friendship with him removed. 
a friendship with God from his end is everything to him. It's everything to him. God so highly esteems our friendship with him and our relationship with him that he would actually initiate a covenant, an agreement based on his faithfulness and not based on our own. Now, this is like sort of like the very essence of our life. This is what actually satisfies us, keeps us ticking. This is what actually gets us through trials, is a friendship with God. It's the very big reason that we were created and we're alive. This friendship with God is everything. And he doesn't want it to be a theory or a doctrine. He doesn't want to keep it as... Um, just an idea or concept, or even a hidden reality, but he wants to make it manifest to us in a relationship where we're actually friends with Jesus, where we actually step into the blessing of Abraham, where he walked with God as a man walks with a friend. That's what's going to satisfy us. That's what satisfies our heart. So, when we take this journey to faith, it always comes in response to God's word. So Abraham, Moses, other men of faith throughout the Bible, they responded to God's word. It comes in either the form of obedience or the asking of faith, or there's probably more, but I don't have enough time and, and I don't have enough wisdom to, to, to speak of all of it. Um, but what I do know is that there's an obedience of faith and that there's a place where we ask. So God's word comes to you and he says, can you please do this? Or I want you to do this. Or he instructs you to do something. Now, when that word comes to you, you have a choice whether you want to follow that word or not. You have a choice whether you want to obey or disobey. And obedience is an access point uh, to this faith journey. It's the start of our faith journey. You know, Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Oh, Peter says that, but yeah, Jesus flows through Peter. Um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness and remission of your sins. So there's an obedience there. There's, there's, a, there's a response to the commandment to repent and to be baptized. But there's also a place where we can ask the Lord, and the asking of the Lord is a step towards faith as well. Uh, what do I mean by this? Well, uh, Jesus says, um, after the Beatitudes, he says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So when we take the time to ask the Lord for something, and in this case of what I'm talking about, it's like the manifestation of his face, the manifestation of his glory. When I take the time to ask the Lord something, that's actually a step of faith, because you're stepping into, I'm, I'm believing something in the unseen realm. I'm believing something that actually hasn't come to pass. I'm believing something that I actually can't see yet. Because we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. So we take that step of faith and say, Lord, I would devise like the most pertinent, um, powerful, life-changing prayer you can pray and the most the object of I mean you can ask for anything, right? But I think the most important thing to ask for would be, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. That's what Moses asked for. He asked for Lord. To see, uh, to see his glory. And now whatever the Lord does with that, he does with it. He might reveal his goodness to you or whatever. 
But uh, what we do in that place, when we ask the Lord of something, we're taking a step of faith where we're putting our heart out on the line and we're saying, Lord, I need you here. I need you to meet me where I'm at. This is the subject of, of my message and when the Lord brings that word to you or he gives you the opportunity to respond to him in faith or he gives you the opportunity to ask something of him. We have a couple of choices in this period between when we've asked or when we've obeyed and when the promise comes to fruition. Oftentimes we think about we, we, we think about and we, uh, ex- I guess, expect things to happen overnight. We expect things to happen instantaneously. We expect the promise to be fulfilled in one moment. But that's just not the way it works a lot of times with the Lord. Sometimes there can be an instant response, but that's only if this process of faith is observed in a, in a, in a, in a sort of way and in a, in a heart posture. So let's get, um, opening up the Bible, I've just talked a lot, but I hope you can hear there's a lot of scriptures anyways. If you have any questions as well afterwards about anything, because um, I haven't really referenced any scriptures, talk to me, because I'd like to hope that a lot of what I was saying was scripture and Bible verses. Um, okay, let's open up our Bibles now to Genesis chapter 16. So in our journey of our faith walk, we might, might take the time to uh, ask the Lord of some, ask the Lord for something. And for myself and for you, I'd advise like asking the Lord, show me your glory, is an incredibly powerful prayer, and, and, and it's something that's essential for us to know. Now, the glory of God is just the manifestation of who He is on the earth. It's an experience or an encounter, like people have in the Bible time and time again, that God reveals Himself to you in a real, tangible way. So Jesus lives inside of your heart, but the manifestation of his glory is him showing you his face, and that's everything we long for. You know, David in the Psalms goes, Lord, I, you've, you've said to me, seek my face. Your face, Lord, I'll seek. All right, so Genesis chapter 16. We've got this faith journey going on. Um, I'll kick off the speed with it. Um, yes, basically, Abraham, Abraham, at the time, he's been given a promise from the Lord that he's going to be um, have a child with his wife Sarai. He's going to have Abraham and, Ch- and Sarai are going to have a child. These two people in the Old Testament, God's come to them and He said, "I'm going to give you a child." And through him, your whole uh, lineage, your whole line, everything that you are is going to come from there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to multiply the relationship that you have with me through this seed, and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Through that line, Jesus is going to come, and he's actually going to uh, set into course, he's going to set into motion the, uh, the redemptive plan for you, uh, for your relationship with me to be made manifest on the earth. So the relationship that God and Abraham had, God is going to multiply through him, and the promise is that it's going to be as many as the sand of the seashore. It's going to be a multitude of people. We're going to share in this same friendship that um, that God and Abraham have, and through the, their offspring, Sarai and Abraham's offspring, that's how this is going to happen. So Abraham's been given a promise. You may have been given a promise. You have been given a promise, actually, that you'll have a relationship with Jesus where you know him. That's your promise, and you have other promises too. 
through the Bible or personal through the Holy Spirit. But you've been given a promise. Now you've got a choice. This is the crux, and this is what I want to share with you guys. Sorry, it's been a lot of trying to get, get there. Get there. Setting it all up, you know? Um, you have a choice in this moment when the promise hasn't come to fruition where you can respond in a number of different ways. You can respond in a tender heart to the Lord uh, and wait for Him to birth the miraculous through you. You can wait for Him to birth the child of promise through you. And that doesn't come through your passivity. That comes because you've obeyed Him or you've asked of Him. Okay, so there's activity on our end. There's a response. Faith is a gift from God. Our obedience or our asking is a gift from God. Absolutely start to finish 100% a work of grace, but there is a responsibility on our end for those actions, for that asking. There's 100% a responsibility on our end for the action of obedience or for the asking of faith. But in the time between that and the promises to fruition, you whether that's, Lord, show me your glory and let your glory be manifest in my life or whatever else you're asking for. In that time period, we have a number of options what we're going to do. You can either wait and strengthen yourself in the Lord and be still and keep in the Spirit and keep out of the flesh. Or you can strive. You can try and do something in your own strength. You can try and make something happen. You can get all religious and try and tick all the religious boxes. You can try and work your way up for it. You can walk away from the Lord. You can get hard-hearted. You can try and figure it out yourself. You can try and birth it yourself. You can try and make this promise happen on its own volition. You have a lot of different options then. And I want to encourage you, the right way and the, and the only way to see the promise fulfilled uh, with your heart intact and God feeling honored and loved. Because the promise may still be fulfilled anyway. I don't know, God works wonders. But the, the, the way that we need to posture our heart is a way of patience and waiting and trusting in the secret, strengthening ourselves in the Lord and keeping ourselves out of striving. That hurts. That hurts. That's a difficult way to go. That's the way of the cross. And the Lord's inviting us on a journey to become uh, co-crucified with him so we experience a co-resurrection. He's inviting us on this faith journey to follow in our Lord's footsteps. Now, when Jesus was living his life on earth, it was incredible. But then once he gets to the cross, he has a moment where there's no glory. There's no presence. There's no answer prayer. There's no gifts of the Spirit. He's had his beard pulled out. He's had his back ripped open. He's had all his friends desert him. He's had lies and accusations painted all over him. And he's meant to be the saviour of the world. How hard? How hard is that? That's difficult. Especially when you're the son of God and you're used to intimate communion with the Father. You're used to being one with him and then you're in that place where you're at Golgotha and you're on the cross 
and the nails are through your hands, and the nails are through your feet, and you're hanging there suffocating on your own body weight, and it would have all been okay, except for the fact that the Father turned his face away. Now there's a place of the hiddenness of God, where God hides his face, that actually leads us to the most deep, powerful encounter with the Father that we could have ever had or ever hoped for. Now Jesus could have jumped down from the cross and said, angels come to rescue me, and that would have been totally okay and fine. But he knew that there was a greater way. He said that, that, that greater love has no one in this than a man lays his life down for his friends. Unless he laid his life down on that cross and, and he didn't force this glorious resurrection, he just submitted to the process. He submitted to what the devil had planned. How crazy is that? Our Lord submitted to the devil's plan. But it backfires. Because what the devil means for revenge, Jesus means for the redemption of all mankind. What the devil means for the death, Jesus means for the resurrection of all of his children. So in our faith journey, we're we're posed with this question like, what are we going to do between the death and the resurrection? And I believe that the Lord is unique. You know, he's the only son of God. He's the only one who can redeem all mankind. But he invites us to follow him. And he displays as a man, fully God, fully man, he displays as a man the perfect way to live the faith life. Embracing that dark night of the cross. Embracing that death. Because you know, and I know, and he knows that there's a resurrection that's going to follow we don't want to focus on it in when we're talking about faith. We just want instantaneous. We want to always be in God's presence. We want to always... But what happens when God pulls his presence away? What do you do then? The illustration that, um, that I use is, is like when you're worshipping and we're adoring the Lord, we're beholding his beauty and we're worshipping and glorifying him. And you may experience his, his glory and you may be touched by Jesus and touched by the anointing. And that's beautiful. But what happens when you're worshipping Jesus sometimes and nothing's happening? What happens when you're not feeling the touch? What happens if you're not feeling the glory? What happens if you're not feeling his presence? What do you do then? I just hear the Lord's still small, sweet voice just saying, oh, just keep loving me. Because he's teaching you how to love sacrificially. He's teaching you how to love unconditionally. He's teaching you how to love even when God's not giving you something. Oh, that hurts. That zings. You're just like, dang, I want Jesus. I want your glory. I want your presence. I want to feel you. I want to know your love. I want this heart healed. I want all of this. And the Lord's saying, well, will you just, will you love me? Will you keep on adoring me? Will you keep on worshipping me? Will you offer me a sacrifice of praise? Oh, that is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. And it is the best thing you could ever do. Because in that place, you get joined to an intimate union with Christ that you could never imagine in your wildest dreams. Because you finally become one with love. You finally offer a sacrifice of praise where you're not asking the Lord for something, but you're giving in your heart. Oh, that is just... Mm, that's, that's the sweet spot. That's where you, where you find your life. And funny, because Jesus says, when you lose your life, then you'll find it. 
when you lay it all down, that's when you get it all. <laughs> but we, you, you, know, like you hear all of this, but then when you actually have to live it, you're like, oh, this is not what it sounded like. <laughs> there's no pat on the back, there's no compliment, it's just, you're just laying your life down, and it hurts. Dying hurts, guys, it really does. But you have a choice. Do you want to persevere? Do you want to offer him a sacrifice of praise? Or do you want to turn inward? Do you want to try and figure out your problems yourself? Do you want to deal with your own issues and your own pain? Or do you want to turn your heart to the Savior who can heal you? Because that's the same lie that the devil offered Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you've got it all in you. You already know. Just choose choose the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be fine. You can figure it all out yourself. Same lie. Uh Uh-uh. Not today, Satan, because we choose to exalt the Lord even when it's not happening. Even when the promise is not there. Even when you can't see, you can't feel, and you don't see it happening, but you choose to love Him. You know how that moves His heart? You know how that, how that wrecks His heart? And that is the goal of our life, that we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 says, He who worships the Lord, worships the Lord in spirit and truth. The Father's seeking such worshippers, but we give up. When the glory gets pulled back, and the promises aren't there, and the gifts and the callings, you can't see them, and, and all, all of this stuff that you've been promised, it draws itself away, and, and you're wondering, where's God? Don't worry, God's right there. He's as close as the mention of his name. He's in you, he's above you, he's all around you, but he's testing your heart. Why is he testing your heart? He wants you refined by fire. He wants you looking just like Jesus. He wants you to come out the other side being one with him. And don't worry, because when you die, ouch, yes, ouch, when you die and you choose to set your eyes on Jesus and still worship him, because he's worthy of all the glory, he's beautiful, he's praiseworthy, he's incredible, when you choose to adore him from your heart, even when it hurts you, even when it costs you something, and he's not manifesting himself, and you just choose to love him anyway, when you die and you're in that cold, empty tomb, don't worry, on the third day, there's a co-resurrection. You are co-risen with the Lord in spiritual union. Paul says that he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. One spirit with God Almighty. What else do you want? What do you want? You can have money, you can have girls, you can have popularity, you can have success, you can be emotionally whole and live your best life. I'm going to choose to be one spirit with Jesus. I'm going to choose to be one spirit with the God of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And when all this world passes away, he will be standing there in the midst of the mystery of the universe. You're just, he's just standing there, and it's just him, and it's just you, and you're one spirit with him. Oh. That's what you want. So you're going to die on the cross with him, and then be co-raised with him. There's resurrection power there. There's life and abundance there. There's union there. Every desire your heart's met there comes from his word, yielding to the process, obedience, and the asking asking of faith. And then you got this thing called the death there. 
Let, let's read the Bible far out. Okay. So this, I'm just unpacking this. This is called systematic theology. <laughs> systematic theology is basically the Bible where it has that one message from start to finish. One message from start to finish. One thing from start to finish. One, one truth from start to finish. And systematic theology is basically just like it's the line of all the different books in the Bible and, and, and the different message and revelation from old to new. It's the one story. And understanding the, the, the study of God in that. And, and this one chapter, chapter 16, sums it up. It, it really, it, this is everything. So, so Abraham's got this promise from God. He's got the, you know, whoop, got it. I've got my promise, obedience, I've obeyed. And then he decides to take things into his own hands. We're going to learn from Abraham, okay? Um, Abraham at the time. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai, so after Abraham had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. So, so Sarah's, Sarai's idea, she's given her maidservant to Abraham because they can't have a baby. It's not working out. The promise that God gave them that they would be, have the blessing of the nations through their heir, they're not having a baby. It's not happening. And so... And they come up with this great idea that, oh, Abraham, maybe if you just go and sleep with uh, Sarai's maidservant, her attendee, her helper, then, then maybe we can have this heir from God. They're taking things into their own hands. And he went into Hagar and conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contentment on her mistress. So Sarai's angry at Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had um, conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You should call him Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He should be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. But she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the world is called Beer um, Lahai Roy. Um, it lies between Kadesh and Berea. And, ha- and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, um, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. 
Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. So I don't know if you can see, but through that story, we see what happens when we take the promise and the fruition of the promise into our own hands. Abraham and Sarai decided, oh no, the blessing isn't here. Now you might be worshipping and being like, oh no, God's presence isn't here. You might be asking the Lord for something, for some sort of blessing, or you might be wanting to be sanctified in an area, or healed in an area. Something in your faith walk, where you've taken that step and you're on your journey, and now you're posed with the question, do you want to take it into your own hands and birth an Ishmael? And that's going to be very hard for you. Or do you want to keep trusting in the hands of the Lord? Because he's resurrected once before, and he can resurrect again. He's already resurrected from the dead. And he knows how, in your spiritual union with him, as you walk this life as a follower of Christ, he knows how to raise you up from the dead. Now, this is a one-time event, obviously, the resurrection of the dead, when we're going to die and we'll be raised to life again. But it's actually an ongoing thing as well. As we take steps of faith, we find that this is the essence of faith. You take the step of faith, you ask the Lord for something, and then you have to die to get the promise. The dying part is the hard part, and that's where we quit. That's where we give up. But when you find faith in that place, and, you, and the example we're using, when you worship, you choose to worship the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to continue to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to behold your glory, and I'm going to give you praise. And, uh, and continue to fix your eyes on your Saviour. And if you continue to do that, even when it hurts, when the pain's there, even when everything you want inside of you is to find another way, is to do things on your own terms, is to find another way to healing, is to find another way to, to satisfaction, is to find another way to peace, to find another way to love. And you scoff at others uh, who, who do continue to try and find their satisfaction in Jesus. But when you decide to continue to worship him, continue to adore him, and, and worship is an example that reflects the rest of our faith walk. What we do in worship actually reflects the way we live our life in our faith walk. Because when you come across a trial in worship, an internal trial or whatever, a hard trial, and you have to choose to worship him, it's actually what you're going to do in real life. What you do in secret will be brought out into the open. Jesus says, what's done in secret will be brought into the open. What's said in hidden will be shouted up on the rooftops. Everything's going to be exposed through what you have when you're alone in your heart for the Lord. Not when you're closing the door and going, guys, I'm going to be super close. It's just like, no, just between your heart and the Lord's, what's going on there and the way you worship Him there is going to be the manifestation of the way you deal with circumstances in your life. But how encouraging is we've got a Holy Spirit inside of us. And this Holy Spirit is working with us, he's yearning with us, he's pushing us towards a selfless worship of Jesus in spirit and in truth. To continue to behold him as our Saviour, to continue to praise him, until that promise comes to full term. So when we're up on that cross and we're, we're dying and we're, we're, it's hurting and we're with our Lord, just know that when you're on the cross, he's there with you. And you might not feel him, you might not be there, uh, you might not seem like he's there, 
but he's surely there with you because he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you until the end of the age. He's with you up on that cross. You're there together. You just might not be able to see him. And we have to give place to this, otherwise we start to strain and perform. We start to fake it. You're not feeling God's presence, or we'll just fake it. Nice. Doesn't help anyone. We want the genuine soberness and the reality of the resurrection in our life. We want the soberness of the cross, and we want the glory of the resurrection to come. And that comes through taking that implanted word, and you hang on to it. Like your life depends on it. You hang on to it through thick and thin, and as you worship the Lord, you know the Lord's instructed us to give him glory. You behold him, and you trust that he's going to manifest his face to his children. And you will. The one last example that I want to draw our attention to is, is just when the disciples um, were in that room, the upper room, after Jesus' resurrection. And he's resurrected, but he's, he's not there. And they're just all together in a room. Imagine what that's like. Were they singing hymns? Were they praying? Were they going, where are you, Jesus? We're all sitting together in a room. And it doesn't seem like you're here. They're all sitting together in that room. But I want us to be a people where we can sit together in a room and there may be no sort of awareness of God there, but by faith we believe it. By faith we trust it. And we're soberly waiting for the real thing. We're soberly waiting for him to walk through the walls. And that's just what happens with those disciples. They're sitting in the upper room. They're just there chilling. And then all of a sudden, Jesus there walks through the walls. It says he walks through the walls. And then the risen Lord is there with them. It's just when you think that he's not there, that's when he's just about to walk through those walls. It's just when you're about to give up hope and you just say, Lord, I just continue to trust you continue to, uh, to believe in you and know that you're going to birth his promise to full term. That's when he walks through the walls of your heart and he walks through the walls of your life and he manifests himself in glory. And then it's funny because it's just like you forget about the death. You forget about the hardship. You go, oh, he's here now. <laughs> and it happens again because it's our faithful. So let's get used to it. We carry around in our body both the death and the resurrection of the Lord. We carry around both in our body. The resurrection power and the glory, but also the death. Also the hardship. And that's how we get to this place where I think it's the goal of our life is to be on the Um <laughs> you get the goal of our life, which is, Lord, show me your glory, and that glory manifests, and then you're forever changed. And I can't even put into words what the glory of the Lord is like, but um, it, it is for us to find, um, find through this process of faith. It is for us to find through this process, and, and don't quit on the process, because Abraham is the father of our faith. We follow in his footsteps, and he ended up birthing Isaac. He birthed Ishmael, but he ended up birthing Isaac, and then through Isaac and the seed of Jesus. Through that line, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, uh, this man who was, in fact, the God of Israel. The God we read about in the Old Testament, he is the I Am, and he came through that line and brought eternal salvation to mankind. That's what the Lord's accomplished through Abraham's line, but he also wants you to participate in the journey following Jesus following Abraham, having your own faith walk, taking those steps of faith, obeying 
asking, and then walking through and carrying through the promise to full term. And it's hard. No one's saying it's easy, but it's the most fulfilling journey you'll ever be on in your entire life. It's the thing where you actually behold the face of Jesus and you see him smile. That's it. If you see him smile, you're done. Like you are, you're done. You're done. Absolutely, well and truly. If you feel that you feel his love and his heart for you, yeah, it's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. But take the world, take everything in it. Who cares? Just for a little glimpse, just a tiny little smidgen of his face and his smile. listening, let me pray, and we'll go from there. Lord God, I just thank you for um, who you are. I just thank you for the faith journey. I thank you for how you set this thing up. I thank you for how, how you've, you've, you've constructed it all. And Lord, we just open our heart to yield to the process of dying and being resurrected with you, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to avoid your death. Just jump into the resurrection, Lord. Lord, we embrace that humble cross. We embrace that sober cross with you, Lord. Help us to embrace that. And Lord, we know you're faithful to walk through the walls. We know you're faithful to come fill the promise. We know that you're faithful to show us your glory, Lord. We know that you're faithful, Lord. Lord, we just ask that. We just ask as a church you show us your glory. You have your way. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we'd know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise, Lord Jesus. Just all the attention to you, all the fame to you, it is all about you. You're incredible. We love you, and we love you as people.